Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, just so you guys know kind of where we're headed, uh, I'm going to finish this series next week, uh, then there's uh, a guest speaker who's going to come and fill in uh, for us, Craig Peters, so he's coming all the way from Africa to fill in, and he's traveling the country or the world right now, so anyway, he's going to come and fill in, and then we're going to do a series uh, that is called Fight Club, and what is one thing that is true about Fight Club? You don't talk about Fight Club, so that is a series that actually I'm not going to record, we're not going to post, and actually we might go to different locations and just post up. So anyway, uh, stay tuned for that, I'll keep you posted. But anyway, uh, tonight uh, we're about uh, six weeks into this You Are Gifted series, and what uh, I, I need to patch up a few things, because uh, two weeks ago I had said some things and everyone was like, I thought you didn't believe in the gifts, you know, and like I, I made a joke two years, or actually a year and a half ago, where I made this statement where I was like, if you think you have the gift of healing, we'll go down to the ER right now and you can put that on display. And it was like, yeah. And then two weeks ago, I was like, hey, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. And everyone was like, you believe in the gifts, right? And I was like, no, that's not what I said. That is not what I said. What I said was I was opening the idea to not the gift of healing, or the, but, but just the idea of the gifts of healing that are given by the Spirit at certain times. So here's what I want to say. Who is the healer of all time? Who, what's his name? Gee, God, yeah, you guys are, man, you've been going to Sunday school. Jesus, right? You get it right. Jesus is the healer. He's the great physician. He heals. But what I don't, and what I don't like, and what uh, I can tend to mock if I'm not careful, is that there are certain ministries or churches or ideas where uh, they have this, like, what they'll call a healing ministry, where they'll go to places and they, you know, try to heal and they'll put kind of, they'll kind of mandate God to heal. But then uh, COVID had happened and there was all these healing ministries closing uh, their healing ministry. And so that caused me to be like, well, that's weird because you have the gift of healing, right? So anyway, all that to say, here's here's what I would like to say. What I don't like about um, this idea of someone who has the gift of healing is this. I don't like it when people say, if you just had enough faith, then God would heal you. I think that is is like manipulation on steroids to make someone believe that if you have enough faith, then God will just show up. If you have enough faith, you can speak in tongues. If you have enough faith, God will use you. If you have enough faith, you'll prophesy all this weird stuff where I'm like, what are are we talking about? So here's what I'd like to say. As we go through uh, tonight and as I kind of work through a few ideas, um, I have not changed my doctrine. I want to let everyone know. Everyone just, we're not going to do anything weird. I'm not going to give you like extended 20 minutes of worship with just Ethan playing and all this weird stuff. What I would like to say is this. My doctrine has not changed, but my commitment to this right here has increased. So what I would like to say is as I'm learning, as I'm seeking, as we're trying to discern some things, I'm just asking the question, hey, I don't just want to believe something, and neither should you, because mommy and daddy told you or because a really smart Bible teacher told you, or you read it in a commentary, so you're like, that's what I believe, and someone's like, why? And you're like, uh pastor said it. So no matter what the topic is, if we're talking about relationships, if we're talking about spiritual gifts, if we're talking about fight club, whatever it is, what we are talking about, it has to be rooted in this right here. 
in the Bible that you would not blindly believe something, that you would figure it out. So as we're jumping through this, I want you to know my heart through this series is that you would figure out what your spiritual gift is. Not that we would argue about uh, have they ceased or have they continued, but that you would figure out what your spiritual gift is. And here's what I have noticed, and here's what I'm just kind of seeing and kind of I can kind of place my hand on it, is that spiritual gifts, maybe you have thought about using them one time or another. You went on a missions trip one time, and you felt like God was using you. You got amped up. There was 15, 20 people on the team. You did not have a choice on the missions trip. You had to serve. You had to jump in. God had to use you. And when you did it, how, how amazing was that? Jesus, he was right there. You were stacking blocks and bricks, and we're cutting stuff down at Mazalan, and you're like, he's here. And you're, God is using you. But then, then what happened? Then what happened? We came home. We came home. And then you were like, man, I don't feel like I can serve God in this way. Or, or this is what will also take place. You'll start to do something. You'll serve. You'll jump into kids' ministry, right? You'll jump into junior high ministry. You'll jump into the worship team. You'll jump in somewhere to try and serve. And you're like, well, this is kind of anticlimactic. Is that it? You're like, a half hour a week? You're like, I feel nothing. It's not good. And then you, then you just kind of bail, and you're like, it's really not that good. or it's, you, know, you know what I mean? And so here, here's what I would like to say. Here's as we're starting off tonight. The idea of spiritual gifts and the gift that God has given you. You have a gift. You have a gift. But it will take some effort on your part to find what it is. It's going to take some effort. And God is going to be gracious with you along the way. Honestly, just try some things. Just try some things. And I think God is going to use you in incredible ways. Incredible ways. So in chapter 12, I'm going to, just on the tail end of it, in verse 27, how many of you have a friend, you have a friend, that will, when you ask them a question, they answer with a question? And how many of you hate that? Your mom will, you'll ask your mom, or your mom will ask you a question, you're like, well, where were you last night, right? you answer with a question, and there'll always be these weird people where uh, they always come off really smart. You know, you'll ask them a question, and then it gets like really deep, really fast, and you're like, what are we talking about? Now, answer the question. That's how I feel uh, with this passage, because there there's one statement, there's seven questions, and then a really long statement. And seven questions, I'm kind of like, just say what you mean, Paul. Just tell us what you want to tell us. So anyway, we're going to jump in tonight. The first point is this, desire to play your part. Desire to play your part. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 29. Now you are the body of Christ, individual, individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, not the gift of healing, the gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. I want to stop there for a second. Here's what's true. Um, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, not that you uh, signed a document, the blue one here at Maranatha, we recognize your name, uh, that you're part of Maranatha Bible Church, but when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a part of the capital C church, global church, that you are a part. In the verses prior to this, it talks about this. It gives an illustration of the body. 
talks about the ear can't function well acting like a hand, and the hand can't function well acting like a foot, and it kind of gives this really obvious, that's why I skipped it, because you guys be like, we get it, with body parts, like, play your part. But what happens, what happens when a certain part of the body works a little bit more than the other parts? Well, it gets stronger. And uh, Sydney, pull up that meme. Uh, I, I have this picture of when something becomes unproportioned. So friends don't let friends skip leg day. And, and here's what some of you look like. I was going to use some names, but I don't want to fight anybody after tonight. But anyway, when someone uh, is in the gym, they work out their upper body only. They've never seen a squat rack. They've never deadlifted. They don't know how, all these things. So here's what will happen. They become unproportioned. They, can't, they don't look. That, look, that dude looks weird, Right? It just looks weird, and he's like, I do biceps, right? He, he looks weird. Now, this is exactly the illustration Paul is giving when there is a certain, certain church or certain people who will use their spiritual gifts, but some people don't. Some people don't. Go back to the verse so we're not just staring at a meme all night. Uh, in verse 27, he says, you're members, individually members of it. You have two arms in the body of Christ, two arms. You have what's called a discipleship arm. We're getting real deep tonight. And then you have what's called an evangelistic arm. The evangelists want to see people get saved. The discipleship people want to see people go deep. They want to know the Bible. If you don't have both arms working well, you end up with a really strong arm and a really weak arm. So what he's saying is play your part. Know your part. Play your part. And why does he say first, second, then third? He's listing these numbers. Are there people who are better in the body of Christ or in church than other people? No. I'll answer that one for you. No. Why does he say first, second, and third? Is he gift projecting? Is he saying, well, the apostles are better, the teachers are better, the, the people who are doing worship, they're better? The... No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. In the order in which they came, you had first an apostle, someone who would speak for God someone who would declare God's word. Then you had a prophet, someone who would affirm what God was saying. He's saying the order in which they came, not necessarily what is better and what is not. Then he asked these questions. Are all apostles, are all prophets? He's giving the rhetorical answer, no. Go to the next slide, verse 30. Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? There it is, gifts. Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Here's the seven questions but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So why is he asking all these questions? Because he's trying to get to a point, and then he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Why? Why would the Bible say that you should desire a certain gift over the other one? And what are the higher gifts? He's saying the higher ones are being an apostle, uh, being a prophet, and speaking in tongues. So those, those are the ones he's saying. Now, you can't be an apostle. What makes an apostle? Someone who actually saw Jesus with their own eyes. That's what, there was only 12 apostles, 14 if you count the other two, had visions of Jesus if you count uh, Paul and things like that. But you are not an apostle. You can't be an apostle, and so I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. You can't desire. How, how am I supposed to desire this? Why would he say earnestly desire? Well, can you be a prophet? If we already have the Bible, are you able to say, thus saith the Lord and speak. Is the Bible not done? Is there more that we're just kind of waiting for the past 2,000 years? Right? Why would he say this? Or, or what about tongues? He's saying earnestly desire them. He's not, and I'm going to answer those questions in a second. He's not saying 
He's not saying that you should desire to be an apostle, and he's not saying you should desire to speak in tongues. He's not saying you desire should be a prophet. What he's saying is this. Those gifts are ones that minister to the body. You should earnestly desire those types of functions that you as well minister to the body, that you work those out. And here's what's true. The Bible, the, what they call is the canon, I'll talk about it here in a second again, is closed. It's, it's finished. It's done. How do we know that? Malachi is the last Old Testament book. I'm going to get really nerdy here for a second. I'm sorry. It's the last Old Testament book. It prophesied that John the Baptist would come, that that would be the next chain of events who would prepare the way for Christ. 400 years of silence, John the Baptist was born. He showed up on the scene. Then who came? Jesus, that he was the next chain of events that took place. I can hear it. But anyway, um, the next chain of events, after you had apostles, people who were eyewitnesses of Christ, here's what took place. When Jesus was done, he sent the Holy Spirit as a promise. In John 22, or in Revelation 22, sorry, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> Revelation 22, Jesus, Jesus said this, that nothing should be added and nothing should be taken away. So here's, here's all I want to say. Desire, and I'll wrap this up, desire to play your part. And here's a question that you should ask yourself and you should ask God. Why do you not desire to play your part? What is it in you that just says someone else will take care of that? Or what is it inside of you that says, I don't really feel like I want to? If you don't want to, ask God why you feel that way. Why don't you even desire that? And he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. What is the more excellent way? What is better than spiritual gifts? What is better than all of these apostleship and tongues and prophecy? What's better than all that? And he explains it to us in chapter 13, verse 1. He says this. Next slide. Thank you. 13.1. Is it not on there? Yes, here we go. Thank you. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, he is using hyperbole here. He's saying, if I speak in the, in, in the words of men, or if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, and here what's, here's what is weird to me about the whole tongues thing. It says in 2 Corinthians 12, 4, he says, and he heard things, Paul, that cannot be told that he may not utter. If he knew some heavenly language and he said, I can't say what it is or what happened, it's just... Anyway, uh, he said, I am, he said, but I have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And you guys have sat through, I mean, I've done this like four or five times. I've had Adam help me, but I'll just play the gajon tonight. He says, if I just sit here and beat on this and try and tell you that Jesus loves you, he died on the cross for you, and he rose again from the dead, that he, it's just annoying. I'm annoyed. I'm like, why am I doing this? It's annoying. He says, if I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He said, I'm just, it's distracting. You can't hear the message that's being told. He says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I have gained nothing. You may win, you may win a theological argument, but really lose. You may win an argument about spiritual gifts or about serving more and who's jumping on this board or who's doing this, but you may really lose. He's saying, 
he loses every single time. If I have faith to move mountains, that's pretty sweet. It talks about in Luke uh, 17, verse uh, 4 and 5, this faith of a mustard seed that will move mountains. That's crazy. It talks about prophetic powers, being able to speak and communicate to people, that understanding all the mysteries of the Bible that you understand really well. You may win, but you'll still lose. He's saying, if you understand, if you understand what your spiritual gift is, if I were to ask you, what is your spiritual gift? You say, well, this is my top one, this is my second, this is my third, and sometimes when I have to, it's this one. But if you don't do anything with them, it doesn't matter. If you have not love, and the reason Paul is saying this, Paul is, I mean, chapter 13, this is like the, the climax of the book. He's addressing this church that is uber gifted. I mean, these people are ballers. I bet their worship would have put elevation in the dust. I'm serious. I mean, these guys, I mean, I bet the pastors could speak for two hours and everyone's hanging on the edge of their seat. He says, but if you have not love, you're nothing. He said, you could have all of these gifts, but if people don't know that you love them, if they don't understand that you love them, guess what? I've gained nothing. If I deliver up my body to be burned, I feel like you deserve something. If you die for Christ, I feel like you deserve something. Revelation talks about those who will receive a certain crown, a martyr's crown. I feel like they deserve something. He said, but if I don't have love, guess what? I should have just stayed home. Shouldn't even have done anything. You may win, but really lose. If you try and figure out what your uh, love languages are, Enneagram, spiritual gifts, throw all that in a bag, you're trying to figure it out. You have all this knowledge, but you have not love. You literally have nothing. If you get, if you get to the end of a race, if you get to the end of an assignment, and you finish alone, you finish alone, guess what you have? Nothing. You have nothing to show for. People, the, the most lonely people in the world, guess what? They aren't very loving. The people who have the least amount of friends are the people who are not very loving. The people who get to finish a race and no one is on their right, no one is on their left, they're not very loving. He said, you might win tons and tons of arguments. You might win tons of fights. You might win all of these different aspects of Christianity, but you'll really lose. He's saying, instead of arguing about who is better, instead of arguing about what is better, how about you just do something with it? And then he gives the prescription for it, which is great. And I just titled this Clarity to a Wedding Passage because um, I'm going to do about 75 weddings this summer. I had to say no to four of them. And, and I, I enjoy weddings. I don't mind doing them. But this is one where you've, if you go to a wedding, you're going to hear this passage. I'll, I'll do Adam and Morgan's wedding. I got other ones this summer. I'll probably bring up this passage. But in its context, it's talking about spiritual gifts and how the church should function. Not just a husband and a wife literally has nothing to do with husband and wife in the context, but it just works well at weddings, so we say it. But anyway, verse 4, it says this, love is what? Patient. You guys are with me. That was sweet. I didn't think anyone was going to say anything. And kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
Now, we could just camp out on that. We could just break each one down for the next 10 weeks and just talk about how it's an action. It's, it's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy or boast. And there's this, um, when it talks about irritable or, or resentful, loving someone is becoming less and less irritated with them. There, and, and what I've been thinking about recently is that there is this idea of love that it goes at a certain pace. Does that make sense? I feel like God's been teaching me this. It goes at a certain pace. It, it, is, it stays long enough to hear the other person finish the sentence. It pays attention long enough to engage in the conversation without thinking about myself while the other person is talking. It goes at a certain pace, and it is slower than the pace most of us go at. This kind of love is patient. It is kind. And and here is why this is so bizarre in the midst of spiritual gifts talking about. This is crazy because if we were that, if I was that, I wouldn't be even worried about what my spiritual gift is half the time. I would just serve. I would just say, what's the need? I would just jump in where everyone would need me. I wouldn't be worried about motivating other people or myself. I'd just say, what am I supposed to do? And the crazy thing about this is the reason we are, we are such in a deficit of this is because we are trying to give, we are trying to give what we have not received. That this is the perfect picture of Christ. I mean, perfect, patient, kind, I mean, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, the perfect picture of Christ. And a lot of us, a lot of us are starving, I mean, running around starving for love, to receive love, without going to the only person that can actually give it to you. We're looking for someone else to fill a void of love that we have in our hearts that motivates us, that drives us, that gives us the ambition, that gives us the the hopes and dreams for our own life, that makes you feel good. You rely on someone else to fill that void. And the only person who can do that is Christ. This kind of love is action. It is not a feeling. It is not emotional. It is not emotionally driven. It's not that I'm dependent on if someone else decides to show it to me. And, and, And I think that we get so distorted around this idea because when we think of playing on a team, going on a missions trip, trying to use your spiritual gift, you put yourself in any category, you look back in your own life and you would say, well, someone else treated me wrong. And typically, I mean, if we're honest, it's probably the leader. It was probably me. It was probably the pastor. Didn't appreciate you. I mean, pastors just suck. Let's just be honest. They do. They, I mean, literally, they, they don't give you recognition when you, need, when you should have. They didn't acknowledge you when you should have been acknowledged. They didn't praise you when you should have. They didn't say thank you when they should have. And, and, and honestly, it puts you in that spot where you remember that time and you're like, that's why I don't want to serve. They're not, they're not thankful. And then you start thinking of receiving. And not that that is wrong. Not that that is wrong that you feel that way, not that, or not that it's right that you feel that way or trying to justify it, but you have real hurts from when that happened. It was a leader. It was drama on the team that took place. It was drama with the other person trying to serve, and you're just like, hey, I just can't. I just can't. It's just too much. It's just too much. And if, if I, if I focused on just giving, 
just, just giving, being this action for other people, I think there would be a lot less problems, a lot less arguments, me being a lot less irritated, it says, me being a lot less resentful, me actually believing all things. What if I just believed the best about someone? What if someone started to gossip about someone else and what they didn't do, how much they can't do, and I just was like, yeah, that doesn't sound like them. I think that he is a lot like this. I just believe the best. He doesn't serve. He doesn't do this. Hey, man, I heard he's super busy right now, and there's just a lot going on. What if I did that every single time I heard something, and what if you did? What if that it wasn't even possible to be said around your circles because you just, you just believed the best, and you hoped the best? You hoped all things for that person. And I don't care. There, there probably is, is, is an exception. But most of us, there is a piece of us that enjoy when someone else is going through a difficult time. Maybe it's, it's your ex, it's your brother or sister, it's a friend you saw that used to be close with you. Something bad happens in their life. And there's a piece of us. I mean, I wish it was I wish it did not exist in me, but it does. You very subtly, you're okay with it happening. Ah, they deserved it. Ah, they did it to themselves. Ah, they didn't work hard enough. Ah, they didn't. You fill in the blank. What if I just hoped I had good dreams for other people? I hoped the best for them. What if when someone else was mocking someone else's spiritual gifts or what they can do or couldn't do or made fun of them or embarrassed them, You just were able to stand in the gap and say, hey, I don't think that's true. What if we had that kind of boldness and endure all things? I'm talking about this, and even as I'm talking about it, I'm like, where does that exist? Where where should it exist other than in, in the body of Christ? That's where it should exist. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that as I have loved you, so you love one another by this all will know you are my disciples. That other people should be able to look. That our love, our actions for each other, should be the greatest evangelistic tool in the world. That people be like, man, how do they get along so well? How do they, how do they not fight about that? I mean, how do they not, I mean, I, I could get in a whole different tangent about politics, but anyway, uh, how, do they, how do they not do, and, and, and what if that was true about us, and here's what, I, and I've been bringing this up every week, because I think that God's just teaching me on this. I think that the devil, I think the enemy attacks unity, I mean, like a savage. I think it's just full time. I think he's bringing up things in your mind. He's causing insecurities in your mind. He's making you think that other people are gossiping about you, so you'll gossip about them. You'll affirm other things. And just dividing every, every single one of us. And for us, what I'm challenging is this. This is the only thing I'm going to say about this, and then we're going to wrap it up. Focus on what you have received in Christ in these things. How Jesus has been patient. He is kind He definitely doesn't envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. Jesus never insists on his own way. He's not irritated with you. He's not resentful toward you. He doesn't rejoice when you fail. He rejoices when you do things that are truthful. And what is true, he bears all things. He goes through these things with you. He believes the best about you. He hopes all things. And he endures when you don't endure. When I focus on Christ being that for me, man, it is so much easier to give. 
but you cannot give what you do not possess. You can't pour out of an empty cup. You can't give what you don't have. So maybe you thinking about spiritual gifts or talking about spiritual gifts, you think, man, have I received this? Maybe it's a season where you'd say, hey, I do just need to sit. I need to quit serving so much. I need to chill, and I just need to take it all in. I just need to relax. I need to take in God's love for me. I need to meditate on and think on and rest in God's acceptance and love for me, not performing and doing more for him. Think about that. I just gave you the freedoms. If you don't want to serve, don't serve. Take it in. Take it in. Take a bath, whatever. Sit in God's love. I bath. That was weird. Uh, God's acceptance for you. Seriously, think about it. So anyway, uh, lastly, number four, some things are, ne- are necessary for certain times. So um, here's kind of like the, the crux of this passage and kind of this series. Certain things are necessary for certain times when, and here's just an, an analogy um, when Hope and I first started dating, we wrote each other love letters like savages. I mean, pages, front and back, books, notebooks. I mean, it was just over the top, flowers, candies, chocolates. I mean, it was, it was insane. I mean, never got tired of it. I mean, it would be three in the morning and my pen's like smoking, right? I mean, I'm serious. It was like, I just, I love you. You know, we're doing all this stuff. We're sending letters and I mean, putting stuff in her car. I mean, just infatuated with each other in a good way. It was like really, really good. And then um, I was like, you know, I have a bag, I still have this bag of all of our, like, love letters to each other. It's like, you know, it's a suitcase, but anyway, um, have all of our love letters to each other. And um, now what we talk about still to this day um, is like, hey, you haven't written me anything in a while, like, what's up? And she'll be like, well, you haven't written me anything in a while. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm waiting for you to write one. I just haven't seen one in a while. What if you still love me? No, there are, <clears throat> there are certain times where certain things were more necessary than other things. It was trying to communicate. Now, I'm not doubting my love for my wife if she doesn't write me a, a love letter and send me a mild text every day. We're confident in our love for each other. But it was certain times and certain seasons. This is kind of what, not what he's talking about, but that was just an analogy. Anyway, uh, verse 8, it says this. Love never ends, and I'll talk about this at the end. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease, stop. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And here's what's crazy about this. He only lists three. He doesn't list healing, doesn't list apostleship, doesn't list prophet, doesn't list, I mean, fill in the blank. He only lists three, and here's why. Because he's giving a general sense of spiritual gifts. He's not saying this one is done, this one, this one, this one. He's giving a general sense. He's saying, hey, uh, knowledge, tongues, prophecy, all these, these will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What is the perfect one? Glad you asked because that's what we're going to talk about for the next 10 minutes. What is the perfect one? Go to verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up, my child, I gave up childish ways. Here's what's important. Why is he saying there was a season where he was a child? He is not referring to speaking in tongues. He's not saying, when I was a young boy, pup in the faith, I couldn't speak in tongues. Now that I'm a man, I can speak in tongues. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. When I was new in the faith, he misunderstood the idea of spiritual gifts and the concept of love. 
When I was a child, I was, I was selfish. My daughter is amazing. She is selfish as they come. It's all about her. I mean, shoot, the whole day, everything's about her. She cries. We got to get her what she needs. She's outside 7 a.m. running around, wants to do her thing. It's all about her. Hopefully, she will shift in the next five years, and she will start to produce for the family, right? And so, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'll be like, give me some rent money, girl. You're five. But no, he's saying now when I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. And here's what he's saying. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall, fully, I shall know fully, even as I have, become, I have been fully known. So faith, so not faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Why does he say the greatest of these is love, love never ends? Because here's why. Faith and hope, you need both of those things when you are following after Christ right now. You need to have faith in God. I, you, you can't see, but yet you believe. You need to have hope that there's a future and that God is coming back, that you will go to heaven, that there is hope. And when you get to heaven, you don't need faith anymore. It will become your eyes. You don't need hope anymore. It will become reality, but you will love like you've never loved. Faith, hope, love, the greatest of these is love. Love will last forever. It's the only thing that we will experience in heaven. You don't need faith because you're going to see everything. Now, let's talk about the perfect one. Okay, there are two stances. The first one is this. Some people will say that the perfect one is the Bible. Okay, that when the Bible came into existence, when we saw in a mere dimly, now we see face to face and we have the entire Bible. We don't need prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. That's one stance. The other stance is that the perfect one is Jesus himself. And that when we get to see Jesus face to face, when we see him face to face, we won't have any need for spiritual gifts in and of themselves. So I'm, I'm going to tell you where I stand here in a second. I see a problem with saying that the gifts or any spiritual gift ceases when the Bible comes into existence, and here's why I, I, I don't really take that stance. The first reason is this. The Bible came into completion at different times and different locations. I mean, in some places it would be like 360 A.D., some places 390 A.D., some places it'd be 900 A.D. that they finally had the Bible. And then even until the Bible actually was reproduced in the 1400s, it took time to spread across uh, the world. And even now, there's some places they don't have the Bible. So it is a very faulty argument, even from that standpoint. Second reason I don't agree with, with the, the Bible idea. When the perfect comes, in Psalm 19 it talks about how the, how the law of the Lord, the Bible is perfect. How it's perfect. But here's what's true. I know I'm not perfect. You're like, no. I know you're not. I know we are not perfect. I know this, but when we see face to face, we see in a mirror dimly, I shall know in part and I shall fully know, be known. When I am fully known is not right now. It is when I come in Revelation 22, 4 and 5, face to face with God. I do not believe that this passage teach, teaches that any gift has stopped or ceased I, don't, I really think you have to do some really weird Bible teaching to prove that, hey, this teaches that these gifts stop. Now, here's what I will say. 
I think that people who teach that have a good heart. I think they have good motives. I don't think they're trying to do anything malicious. I think they're trying to prove some things. But here, here's, what, here's what I'll say about this as we kind of talk about this. I gave up my childish ways, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I know, I know that the Bible is perfect in its completion, but I don't think that God, think about him producing the Bible, allowing the Bible to come into existence. Him saying, once someone has a Bible, what if they have it in Akron, Ohio, but they wouldn't have it in Cincinnati? Just think about that process. Well, once the Bible just is like, the, you know, the printing press, bam, gifts are done. That just seems like a little like leaves us to like, I don't know. I don't think that this teaches that gifts, that, that tongues or prophecy and those types of things have ceased. I don't, I don't think that that teaches that. But here's what I will say as we kind of wrap this up. When you use the gifts that God has given you to show, when you use the gifts God has given you, it shows his grace in your life. I want to wrap up this idea. That if you focus on the idea of speaking in tongues, we talked about two weeks ago being a known language. Next week we'll talk a ton more about that because it's in chapter 14. um, And I feel pretty good about that somewhat. Uh, We'll talk about prophecy a little bit more and how it's declaring for God. We'll talk about known languages and how Paul gives prescriptions to certain things in this church and how we could be really gifted. You could be a beast of an athlete But if you don't play well with others, if you don't love, if it's not about God, guess what? It don't matter. Paul says in Romans 1, he starts five of his letters this way. Paul, servant of Christ. And the question is this. Who do you serve? Who do you serve? Do you serve yourself? Do you actually serve Christ? In all the things that God has done for you, do you actually serve him? It says in 1 Peter 4, 10, or yeah, verse 11, sorry. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. God, God wants to do something in your life. Ephesians 2, 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. Think about that, that God has things he wants you to do to step into, and he's waiting for you to step into that, and he wants to get the glory from it. Who do you serve? Do you serve yourself, or do you serve Christ? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you how it guides us and how it ministers to us. Lord, I thank you for... 1 Corinthians 13 and just how Paul in the midst of talking about spiritual gifts brings up this whole idea of love. And God, I just am so convinced that we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We don't need to recreate things. All we need to do is do what you told us to do. And I think if we were, if I was more like verses 4 to 8, I think the people around me would feel way different I think that our love for each other, that more people would come to Christ. God, I ask that you would help us to be loving toward each other. And God, even as some of us maybe experiment for the first time what their spiritual gift is, trying to figure that out, I pray that you would help them to set aside maybe the, the details of it, and they would just jump in somewhere. Maybe they would ask, they would jump in and just say, hey, I'm willing to do this. 
And then I know there's some people in here where they should just kind of chill for a little bit. They should kind of sit in the reality of what Christ has done for them. God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Lord, we thank you for that. I pray that you would help us to have a better understanding of your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you guys stand as we sing one more song?